0: Frank, 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 can you believe it? One full year of Merge Conflict. We did it, buddy.
1: Oh, my God. I've been waiting for this moment, honestly, for the last month because I couldn't quite figure out when a year actually when we were going to celebrate this moment. But congratulations, James. We did it. Somehow we actually kept the job for more than a year. Anyone who knows me knows that that's about as long as I last doing pretty much anything is about one
0: year so way to go us (laughs) i know and we haven't we we haven't even missed a week that's why i think we were so confused because (laughs) i remember you tweeted out like we made it to 50 episodes but it was actually 49 but we had a bonus first episode and then we had like a special edition like how many episodes have we actually recorded who knows at this point it's impossible to know there's no way of knowing no record
1: of it no written or produced record
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly and um I don't know. It's just but been we
1: decided we wanted to celebrate. I think we finally decided after a, a year physical time has passed. So ignore the episode count. We actually lasted twelve months, you know, going around the whole sun one whole time. Very impressive.
0: Yeah, it was it's been an amazing year. It's been in uh ups and downs and and all sorts of emotions and sometimes stressful to be like on the road or in the air, getting ready to land, get off, get in a hotel. Do I have Wi-Fi? I hope so, let's record this thing, you know what I mean? Um, it's been a blast. I've, I've honestly loved not only recording each and every week with you, Frank, uh, as, a, as, an, as an amazing uh, friend and, and colleague in many regards, um, but also our amazing listeners that have not only supported us by uh, writing in, we have lots of listener feedback to go through on this special episode. Uh, but also everyone that's come up and gotten stickers and tweeted stickers and, mm-hmm. and, and showed the merge conflict love. We, we cannot uh, appreciate it enough.
1: Yeah. And um, just speaking personally, I like to always get something out of it. So it's great that we're helping others. But this has been a real learning experience for me, too. It's, <laughs> it's impressive to see how much you don't know when you decide to do a topic. You're like, oh, can I actually talk intelligently about that? And then actually to dive into something and to hear your perspective and then to get all the feedback on Twitter. Uh, this has been a really great experience for me. So thank you all for that.
0: Yeah. So we love it. We always want to hear from all of our amazing listeners out there. You can go to mergeconflict.fm. There's a contact button. You can hit us up on Twitter. (laughs) You can leave comments on the show. We would love it. uh, And it'd be awesome. And you know, you're right, Frank, because I am always learning and I'm always trying to evolve. And there's many topics that we wanted to cover early on. And in fact, I (laughs) want to take it back to one of our original topics that we wrote down in our sheet from a year ago, because I got to doing something that I've never done well. And as I evolved my um, libraries, my plugins recently, and resubmitted every single one, all 16 of them or so, out into the world as .NET standard packages, something occurred to me, uh, which was that I had really poor documentation. (laughs) and I remember someone telling me, a wise developer once said that if a feature is not documented, it might as well not even exist. and is right. I'm not sure who said, do you know who said that? I first heard that from Miguel,
1: actually, I was at a conference, I believe it was a monospace conference back in the day. And I heard Miguel say it. And I think just like you, it was a real big thud in my head. I was like, Oh, what a revelation. Yeah, the the concept is pretty simple and clear. You can spend tons of time working on a feature, um, or something in your app, your app does something especially special. And you're very proud of it. Maybe it's even just fast, And then you release it with a a release note that says, you know, I added this and it's just (laughs) one line this very short terse thing. And you realize, well, that's so stupid to spend all this time on a feature and then not help people through it, teach them it, show them how to use it. You know, it's, it's silly not to document. But I don't document it very well.
0: <laughs> well, it's like I I started running into all this stuff with the plugins and in my applications. You're totally right. As we work more on the live player application and when I was rewriting the plugins, I go, I go, man, I'm like the. I feel like I documented the core scenarios. You know, I was even mm-hmm. looking at my my geolocation plugin or even the in that billing. I go, I'm like, man, I've documented like the key, the like the sixty percent of like here's how you yeah. do it, but I didn't really flesh out the rest of the details. So what happened okay. during this was that. I did an analysis and Joseph was asking like, how much time do you spend on plugins? And I go, to be honest, I just spent a lot of time answering questions no. <laughs> of, of things that yeah. go figure I haven't documented. <laughs> and what I realized is that since I haven't documented it, I have all the documentation, but just in issues where I'm telling people how to do it. What if I just had it written and I could point them to the documentation to say like, what hey, a- <laughs> listen, here's exactly how it works. And at the same time, as you write documentation, You have to test your stuff and i found so many little tweaks of good example the connectivity plugin no one's probably used this feature because i never documented how it works but there's a bandwidth that you can get and it actually returned different numbers one turned um bytes and one turned returned megabytes based on the platform so i go you know what you know (laughs) you gotta guess so i I changed it so everything is in bytes because that was the most popular one that all the other ones were doing And I go, let me document that, hey, the units of these bandwidths are bytes, (laughs) you know, and then you could actually (laughs) use that feature. So it was like it was so mind boggling opening to me of saying like, oh, of course, no one would even know how to use this feature because you didn't document it. No one wants to look through all the code or try to dig around for that feature.
1: Yeah, and you're talking about libraries, but I I first got this lesson also writing apps. When I wrote iCircuit, I got this very long email from a user who really loved the app. It was a very nice email, but they made very strongly the point that I need to document this thing, because I basically just threw an app out there, and it was a circuit simulator, a very sophisticated one with a large parts library with lots of options, and pretty much not one line of documentation. I can you believe I did that. Yeah. And so um, he wrote that. And that was kind of the second kick in the pants I needed. Um, And the thought occurred to me of like, and if you're going to do it, do a nice job of it, too. That's why I kind of appreciate kind of how proud you are of your plugins documentation, because um, producing nice docs. I don't know what I'm trying to say here other than when I see an app with good documentation, it makes me feel a lot better about that app. And that's kind of like a selling point and i just want to
0: make sure my apps have that (laughs) it makes you almost instill faith in the product a little bit more like when i go to developer.xamarin.com or i go to docs.microsoft.com like these really well fleshed out documentation like i feel really good or even the new apple docs which i'm like oh like i remember i tweeted i'm like oh man these new apple docs look so good because they were so terrible forever and like they're starting to look better um and, and it it not only makes me feel better about the product but To know that I'm a developer using this, I know that I'm going to save time via this. And I think what's interesting when we talk about the types of documentation, it's not just library creation, like you're saying, I need to do a huge shout out, by the way, of your documentation on continuous your IDE.
1: Oh, really? Thank Mm -hmm. you. Because
0: (laughs) I remember the first time I opened up continuous, there was a documentation like a button and Mm -hmm. I thought that you were so clever because what you did is you wrote your documentation on the website in a way that you could embed it into your application. So your documentation and your app would always be up to date and it was the same documentation no matter where your users were looking. And I thought it was so clever and had beautiful screen. Like like you were saying, right? It's not just text, but it's visual, Mm -hmm. it's like, there's GIFs in here. You're ridiculous. But I thought it was really cool of, of saying, hey, listen, if we're going to write this documentation, you obviously put some passion into this. I'm going to put it in the show notes because um, it, it was really good. And that's how what I kind of I thought immediately when I saw this, I said, when I write documentation, I want to write it like Frank. And I don't have images <laughs> yet, but I'm getting there because what I did is I said, I'm not just going to outline. This is what the API is because those are API docs. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give real world examples of here is exactly how you would use it. So when you look at doing data binding on my settings plugin or how do I do subscriptions like I literally give you here's all the code. Here's the exceptions. I have a block on my in-app. My favorite is my in-app billing plugin, Mm -hmm. the docs there. I have one for just it's the second one. It's right after getting started handling exceptions. And I say, here's (laughs) all of the exceptions. Here's how you should handle exceptions. Here's when the exceptions will occur. And here's an example of exactly how you should do it.
1: Man, there's a lot to unpack out of all this. <laughs> so much. So much. Okay. Let's start with... Um, um, I'm going to actually rewind in time for a moment and go back to something else you said. Uh, sorry. But you mentioned how writing the docs makes you think again about your API. Well, mm-hmm. I found the same thing happens a lot with apps. Is when I decide to start writing the docs, which unfortunately is actually kind of later in the process. No one's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, you realize very quickly some usability issues or improvements that you can make like if i'm describing to someone here's how you create a new project and edit a file and run it i want to be able to say like four steps but if it comes out being eight steps and then i have to put a like and then rotate your ipad and face (laughs) the moon in there you know somewhere then you realize ooh, i have a little bit of a usability issue here so i learned that writing the docs was almost like doing a full test pass, like a nice stable test pass against everything. And for that reason, I actually try to start writing the docs about halfway through the app development cycle. That's kind of my target now. I wish I could start at the beginning, but honestly, things change so much in the beginning. It's hard to keep up.
0: Yeah. And I think the nice thing is once you get going, it's really easy to continue to keep those. If they're structured well, it's really easy to, it's easy to kind of keep them going. That's what I'm finding about my my rewrite of all of my plugin documentation is like, man, once mm-hmm. I get going, I'm like, oh, what if I wrote about this? What if I wrote about mm-hmm. this? What about all this? Cause I mm-hmm. use all my plugins like, yeah. oh, I never document, I never documented this thing. Like, like <laughs> and this is like a use case for it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to tell you about this. Like I also have not just, and it's, and it's actually important to not only just document um, these features. And I, I think here's what's interesting too. And exactly what you're saying is you're testing, you're doing this test pass on your app. But at the same time, it may be a library, it may be an app, but you're Mm -hmm. also running into these other edge cases to say, hey, you may be do X, Y, Z, and this may occur. And a case in point is I literally now have a section for some of my complex plugins that are called testing and troubleshooting. Like, hey,
1: I literally (laughs) put this in the beginning
0: of the in-app building. It says says, integrating and testing in-app purchases is not an easy task and you should (laughs) do a lot of testing and I go. I've tried to. I tried to attempt to simplify the integration part. But you know, these app stores. That's tricky. Here's all yeah. of the documentation. Here's all of the tricks that I have learned in the last six, seven, eight, nine months of using and building this mm-hmm. plugin.
1: Uh, which makes me want to go back to something else you mentioned about um, not just having a reference for the API, but having some examples in there. And one of my pet peeves with uh, what programmers often write as API examples is that they really isolate the one function whose documentation you're trying to read. So um, if it's a person object and they have a name property, it would say this gets the name of a person, and then the code example would be variable x equals person dot name and it like that's how you use it and you're like that's Mm kind of dumb like (laughs) you're not okay this is a simple example but i like an example that is actually contextually what someone's actually going to be doing with your library like there'll be sorting on the name or like the name is not good for sorting things like that the examples can't just be so isolated they have to be aware of how people are actually going to use your library and in the case of apps it's the same thing i like to do tiny little tutorials too like here's how you do this and that's kind of the same thing
0: yeah and that's i agree with you i think that the well documented um sample of, of example of putting in there and one thing that i did specifically when i'm writing documentation for this plugin is that for 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 the situations where it's complex like here, here's a good example is the in-app billing. Before you make any calls, you always have to call connect async, and then you have to disconnect async in the finally block. Like you just always have to do it. I yeah. tell people to do it. And what I said is every time, and then there's also, there's always a, the ability for an in-app billing exception to occur or just a generic exception because maybe some networking, something that I couldn't catch gets it bubbled up. So mm-hmm. I said every time, no matter what, when I do an example of code, I'm always going to put a, you know, method around it. I'm going to put a try catch. Finally, oh. I'm going <laughs> to do the purchase. Like, here's the yep. feature, here's the exceptions. Now I'm not going to handle all the exceptions, but I at least do a debug right line. And I write a comment that says something may have happened here. Or something something may happened here disconnect. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like real world. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I, ideally, it would be um, less code, you won't have to do all that stuff. But it, it, the idea is there. It's real code. This is what you I think Microsoft told us this too, when I was working there, um, they said they had to be very careful about the documentation uh, and examples that they wrote, because inevitably, people copy and paste it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the philosophy I use with every code snippet example I have is someone could copy and paste this and it would be pretty safe that's yeah. just
0: kind of the rule i use yeah i i see too many examples where they'll like write some code and then like do dot 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 <laughs> i'm guilty of that one
1: but you know actually the one that frustrates me is when no one ever lists their usings and uh, i can never
0: find the stupid library <laughs> you know like what,
1: how do you actually get this thing to work yeah and then uh, i have
0: I have um oh I don't do that oops
1: <laughs> <laughs> well just somewhere I'd put the using somewhere just so someone knows the stupid namespace because you know that's what it. sometimes intellisense doesn't
0: work that's a good point that's uh, that's kind of funny <laughs> yeah. yeah I didn't I didn't think of that that's one thing I'm going to now add to die. see it's also like it
1: doesn't have to be in everyone for that
0: one. yeah the, just in the for the getting started I, I start yeah. all of them with getting started right tell you how to use it I even, I even have a little architecture. I don't really know how I feel about this, but some of our MVPs started a big discussion about singletons uh, and yeah. stuff. Oh,
1: that kind of architecture. Okay, I thought you were going somewhere else. So I, I like to uh, organize this a little. I, I always think in terms of if I'm creating something, there is a getting started. And then there is the manual. And the manual is where you describe all these little nitty gritty details. The getting started should be simple, short, the easiest way to go from zero to running whatever, the app or the library as possible. Mm-hmm. It should be cute. It should have pictures. It should be well-designed. And it should be entertaining. The right. manual is where you get to be a nerd, though. So, <laughs> you know, people dive into the manual. Um, and this is all your technical things. Now, what I thought you were going to say with the architecture was, I think um, object-oriented programming and programming in general, we've all learned to write black boxes. So we like to say, here is the public API. Trust me, it'll just do it. <laughs> and as <laughs> it, wonderful as that is, I I really love it when someone has a little architecture section in their manual when they say exactly how this library works. If you're doing a library that's you know just connecting to a website and just marshaling data around, who cares? But if you're doing something that actually does logic or does real data manipulation, those sections I always prefer. But then you mentioned the ugly kind of architecture, singletons and IOC and all that stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I try to be very. I try to be what I what I attempted to do, and I think it does actually belong in its own section. Is as I'm, it's a learning process, and that's what I'm learning about documentation and. Should really have should have had Craig Dunn on to our lead mm-hmm. of uh, documentation no. to First, talk about documentation. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what I'm really learning about is that it's really important to, you know, like the platform tweaks for this one. It works a little bit different on Android versus iOS versus Microsoft. Put that in the example. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm learning by people just reading the doc. So every time I finish a new doc, I I send it to Heather. I'm going to start sending them to you, and I tweet them out and I say, hey, I just finished this new doc. Like, give me feedback. And like, hey, guess what? This is a different topic I want to talk about. The <laughs> documentation is in the GitHub repo. So guess what? Oh, boy. Yeah. You can actually do pull requests. You can fix all of my typos. You can, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, can, you can actually follow along. And also what's nice here, which is a hot debate, is I put them in a docs folder in GitHub because then they're snapshotted, right? So whenever I yeah. branch and I do a major release, guess what? Those docs will adhere to that version. That's my thought. Yep, yep. Um, I'm there with you.
1: I I think in the world of GitHub, there's these uh, two choices you basically have for creating documentation. You can use their wiki feature, which is quite fantastic. It's Markdown-based. It's super easy to create pages. They have some customization. I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I generally don't do that. I do what you do. I create a documentation folder, docs or documentation, under the project directory, and I just start adding Markdown files to it. And I, I don't know why I started doing this or then it just felt right having the documentation right next to the source code. What I found was I would go on this manic blitz of writing documentation and then not update it for a year or two and then do some edits and then not update it and it would basically trail off like that. And yeah. I want to fight that and I feel like putting it next to doc- the code is a way to fight it for me.
0: Yeah, and I think... Since my docs are now spread out into micro chunks, so they're very like, here's how you do one type of thing. Here's how you do another type of thing. So in that billing, right, it's it's like, here's how you get started. Here's how you handle exceptions. Here's how you get product details. How, here's how you purchase a consumable. Here's how you purchase a non-consumable. Here's how you purchase a subscri- subscription. I made them all separate because I know that the flow is a little bit different. And what's funny about those three is that they're actually the same API with some tweaks. Oh, funny. Yeah. is not yeah. cool. So I go... Oh. But I want I to I document, like, what does it mean? Like, what type of thing am I creating in the App Store? And what's nice here, my favorite feature, is that I can now just right-click on my Docs folder, right? And I know that that's all my documentation. I don't have to worry about this huge, long-scrolling, you know, read me <laughs> that I need to hope that those links remain links. But I can just open this in VS Code and have the full Markdown Editor, by the way, and this is lovely to do, of just saying, oh, open this, right? I can't open a wiki in VS Code, <laughs> I don't think. Right.
1: Oh, I'm sure there's a way. You, can, you know, it's yeah, you know, there's a way. they have an API for everything. But <laughs> um, you mentioned something funny that uh, the ever-expanding README. I am so prone to that. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Like you, you just keep throwing docs and docs inside this README file. And I don't know why I don't like take that step and create a directory and actually create proper, you know, long-form documentation. I think it's maybe because the README feels less intimidating. Mm-hmm. Like it's, oh, it's just a read me i'll put a few sentences here a few headings there and call it good and um it, it's it's hard to know when to well no the answer to when to break out is immediately in the very beginning start writing docs but <laughs> you know at some point you just got to look at that readme and break off i have this uh terrible <laughs> great project sequel like dash net my little orm mm-hmm. um it started out as just a giant readme file and it's still just a giant readme file with this winky line. I think there was a wink emoji in there for a long time where I said you could go read the documentation and I put it in scare quotes. So it's like documentation, you know, like I did a terrible job of it. And so that's a very undocumented library. And i I compensated by creating good XML docs reference documentation, mm-hmm. but it's completely lacking what you just described of the task based the programming guide the manual kind of documentation
0: yeah but but that is something easy when we're talking about types of documentation. I think what's important to know here is that all different forms of types of documentation are important. So here's what's fun is that I was actually able to make my API docs really easily because you know what I did is I went into my interface which had beautiful XML documentation (laughs) and I copied and pasted them into (laughs) in there, right? And then I also said, hmm, are these also still correct? Because I may have documented this you know, yeah. thing a while ago. So <laughs> I wanted to ago. make sure the <laughs> variable names were there. I was, wasn't missing anything. And I will say that I'm not perfect because I should document the exceptions that may get thrown and all this other stuff. Oh, and there's I, so much to put so much. there. It's a real issue. Uh, I
1: remember uh, when I first started working on Mono It was a very strange thing because I noticed they had no XML docs. And for those who aren't .NET programmers, these are just uh, documentation we put right in the source code, right with the code. Uh, And I noticed Mono didn't have any of this, and it was very confusing. And eventually, over time, I found out why. And that was, there was a philosophy there of your documentation should be thorough and good and complete, so much so that good documentation basically took up too much space in the source code. It just kind of obfuscated all the source code because the majority of the file just became documentation and it just became hard to edit the source code. Uh, so I, I love that philosophy, <laughs> that the documentation ought to be that good and all that stuff. I, I think the tooling itself just became too much for me. And I, I switched back to XML docs just because it's easier. And I think that... So I, I do worry about that, that sometimes I don't write great docs because I just don't want to take up a lot of space in my code file. And at the same time, XML docs are a pain in the butt to write. I wish yeah. they were Markdown. We should get Markdown docs someday.
0: <laughs> yes, that would be amazing because... Well, there's, oh, one nice feature, there's one nice feature of Visual Studio for Mac, which is that it auto-fills in your XML comments with the base based on your variable names, based on your method name. But you
1: don't have to do comments. that. You can do uh, Inherit Doc. It's a it one-liner. Doesn't,
0: it doesn't actually... Inherit Doc is... You have to have another tool for it to actually fill it in when you're generating the DLLs. Oh, you're kidding me. I'm, I'm pretty sure, because I read all about it. My
1: <laughs> can we get
0: that bug fixed, please? Yeah. <laughs> Open source people. Oh, God. Yeah. We need to figure that out. Copy and pasting that. <laughs> yeah, but it also brings me, um, before we take a quick break, I want to talk about that XML docs are important, but also naming your variables is important. <laughs> and those are documentation. We've talked about self-documenting code. We've mentioned it on here before, but I literally had this bug, which was, I had this variable called min minimum distance, and yeah. someone goes... What kind of distance? Is yeah. it miles? Is it furlongs <laughs> That's a very, that's a great question. It's actually meters. That is correct. So it should have been <laughs> minimum distance in meters, right? Very descriptive yeah. of what it is. And um, so, so something like that, right, is important. But I want to talk about a lot more of our tools that we've used, some tried and true things of what we think make great docs and get to some listener feedback. But I want to take a quick break here, Frank, and we have some amazing Awesome sponsors that have been around with us for quite some time now, since almost the beginning of Merge conflict. Thanks so much to these sponsors. (laughs) We cannot thank them enough. Uh, This week, Merge Conflict is brought to you by two amazing, spectacular companies and products. And the first and foremost, you know them, you love them, SyncFusion. SyncFusion continues to offer the largest set of tools. For not only just Xamarin, but for every single platform out there—iOS, Android, ASP.NET, Xamarin, Xamarin Forms—they have over, or nearly over 850, nearly a thousand different components. I'm talking big data reporting, dashboards, um, PDF, Excel, all these different controls. You need a dashboard? You need charts? You need graphs? They got them. Don't write those things multiple times and have to go implement them yourself. Syncfusion has you covered. They're super amazing. I use themselves. Um, I use them myself and all of my applications, uh, and they're designed and built for the platform with the best possible performance. What's awesome here is that they have a free community license. So if you're making under a million dollars a year and you're a small company um, using you know, less than five developers, um, um, essentially everything is free. It's free for ind- individual developers. Just go for it. And then after that, if you're growing and if you made a million dollars, you can give them four grand for a one-time one annual Uh, fee for all of their controls, which is awesome. You can head to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict to learn more about Syncfusion and all of their awesome tools. Now, after you got your app, you're going to need of course to monitor it. And that's where Raygun comes in. Raygun is essentially every single thing that developers need for crash reporting to help detect and diagnose software errors in their mobile applications. And they also offer real user monitoring to find and fix performance issues. Just like Syncfusion, I use Raygun in all of my applications because it's amazing. You can add crash reporting in under a minute to any application, whether it's iOS, Android, Xamarin, Web, JavaScript, ASP.NET, you name it, they support it. It'll automatically pick up your uncaught exceptions. You can track your own. That's my favorite feature. You can even add additional user data. It's bananas. I love it. They have great integrations into Slack, into GitHub, Zendesk, VSTS, Fogbugs. They have all the great integrations. I love it because I have it tied to my GitHub. I see a crash. It's, I'm in debug. I see it. And then there's my code. It like links it all together. It's beautiful. You can find more about Raygun by going to raygun.com slash merge conflict and see just how easy it is to integrate Raygun into your mobile apps in under a minute. That's raygun.com slash merge conflict. Now talking about amazing tools, Frank. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> yeah, Man, I have I have stumbled upon a few different tools, and I think you first mentioned it, which was like GitHub and GitHub Pages. You have a lot of experience with the GitHub Pages thingy. Oh, um, no.
1: Life. So, uh, yeah, I have a few GitHub page sites. I'm not definitely not a pro on it. Um, but what they have is a pretty clever system, though. It's uh, you either create a branch or you can work out of a directory. Mm -hmm. And out of that, you just create a bunch of Markdown files and they have some especially special syntax for composing together uh, whole web pages and all that stuff. Some, Some additions to Markdown, I guess is what I'm saying. And from there, it's pretty simple. It just kind of hosts the files that you put up there, and it works. I I was actually doing a very weird experiment where I was doing a static website kind of hosted by GitHub, but then did all its dynamic API calls to databases not on GitHub. But the static part of the website was on GitHub. It was like, you know, a free CDN.
0: <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah I, uh, so, so that works pretty that. well. Yeah, I thought about this because I wasn't sure because I was looking through my documentation and I have a base readme, but I have all these files and I'm like, Mm -hmm. you can see that I'm in this repo, but I'm like, I'm wondering, how how do people want to read docs? And that's what I'm not sure about, you know?
1: yeah that that's a part where i feel like the markdown files i well let's start with github's rendering of markdown files is excellent i think they do a very good job of it the real issue does become um how easy is it to link between files which i think they do a pretty decent job of when you're doing markdown you just are you putting in absolute paths or are you just uh are you not linking much between your docs
0: relative
1: yeah, you're, so it's a pretty simple relative path. Uh, the same is for their wiki. So you just want to make sure that's easy. Images are always terrible, right? Like, uh, images. So I tend to just bury it into an images directory under the documentation, just kind of hide those files away. I try to keep the directory structure, that the root level, very clean. What I think about is all those old... Remember when we all switched to HTML documentation back mm-hmm. in the day? and someone would dump this like directory full of a billion html files and tiny little gifs or gifs or whatever and you had to go find the index.html and open that it's it's so ugly so i try to make that directory at least look good here are the top level markdown files that kind of stuff with good names
0: i like that i'm i'm now going in and it's kind of interesting maybe i'll link to this i'm going to put it in our zencaster but i just created one right now as we're talking about for for the in-app billing plugin the documentation i just mm-hmm. i just picked a theme but one thing that i did is i gave this to heather my first docs and i said hey what do you think right like what do you think of this and she goes this is really good she's like i like the documentation i like mm-hmm. the link she's like but i have to keep pressing the back button i'm at the bottom yeah and i want to go back so, so <laughs> if you know if you notice on the bottom of every page i have a back to table, <laughs> to of, table of contents well <laughs> breadcrumb
1: very good very good mm-hmm. uh yeah. Yeah. Um, because nice. documentation should be interlinked. It's as simple as that. Um, I, I try to flood my documentation with links because I think knowing how I use software, I never know where to go in the documentation that I want to find something how to do it. I do a search and then it's usually the wrong topic and all that. So I just appreciate having lots of links back and forth. And that's why yeah. I like having these small topics. But once you have a lot of small topics, then people are bouncing around more and more. Ugh never ending usability problem, but this looks good.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that I guess that while we have this set up currently, I feel as though for major projects, right, then maybe you're not actually even hosting the app or you're hosting the library, mainly on GitHub. Like if I think of json.net, I think he puts all of his documentation on an external website. Have you thought about doing that? Or is that was your you were doing by hosting the GitHub page inside of your page?
1: That's That's what you're getting with GitHub pages. So no, I've I've never felt the need for that. I think that that's that's excellent if you want to maintain another server. But my God, I do not want to maintain servers, right? So the more that GitHub can host things for me, the more Hmm. I'm going to take advantage of that uh more power to them (laughs) i don't i don't think it wins you any controllability or anything because with a github page you can just put an html file there you're not forced into markdown or anything so it's it's not that big a deal i guess if you want to keep a database and make a social network out of your (laughs) library then maybe maybe you should run your own server
0: yeah they made me do that yeah because i i was I keep it simple right
1: like docs they should be easy to get to easy to read they're the the nice thing about github pages again god i don't i didn't mean to sound like such a proponent here but <laughs> i'm thinking like just the simple theme everyone uses kind of the same set of themes like it just mm-hmm. makes it easier to browse the docs because we're all used to those
0: themes yeah that makes we all sense. know how they
1: navigate yeah
0: that makes sense. Yeah, oh, I was yeah. um I was thinking I was at I was at .NET Fringe and there was this awesome tool that they did a lightning talk on called I think it's called YAM or Wyam, um oh. this WYAM this is cool. and it's a static content toolkit and I saw them do the demo which was saying Hey, I have this app or I have this website and they pointed it at a GitHub website. But I imagine that you could just point it to any solution file. And what it does is it will use Roslyn to analyze all of your code, take all of your XML docs and everything like that. And it produces not only it creates a static website that you can upload anywhere to produce documentation and deep linking and all that stuff for you. It It's nice because like you were saying, if you add all those things to the XML document, that's something that GitHub you're gonna spend a lot of time in GitHub trying to link all those things together and docs and API docs and things like that. Where this thing, I mean, I think they use it for their own website, but then I think they need to find a I need to find a, a documentation like link to it, but it'll create all the usage, it'll do the deep linking, it'll like you know, navigate everything back for you, which is really cool and i really like it but it doesn't work on a mac just yet which is kind of a <laughs> bummer i mean i guess you would put it in a ci system of some sort but okay, uh well, help me out here uh,
1: i'm a little unclear on some things so um back in the day we've had what was it called sandcastle that's the word that's coming mm-hmm. to my mind and that was the html documentation generator that we could run on our code and it made everything look nice and beautiful In scare quotes, like MSDN. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was never a big fan of the style, but it did a great job of just, you know, trolling through your code and making it all happen. So what does this do in addition to that?
0: So I think it essentially, so if you actually go to Mm ym.io, which I'll put in the show notes, that entire website was generated automatically.
1: Mm, Boy, (laughs) this is going to be a deep rabbit hole, huh?
0: (laughs) One thing that, they did in the demo was that you could point it not only at a solution or a GitHub or any Git repository, but you could also point it at the wiki for it. And you can have it self generate the wiki into documentation mm-hmm. as well. And essentially it could link namespaces and things up to you uh, automatically. But I think it's similar to Sandcastle in a way.
1: Yeah, this is sounding like a big V2, like it's just pulling in a lot more data than Sandcastle ever did. Sandcastle was always just limited to the XML docs, yeah. for better or for worse. So that's cool. I guess I'm going to have to look this up. Um, I've been doing it the old fashioned way. I wrote my own script that <laughs> went through all the XML docs and <laughs> dumped them out. Uh, for those who don't know, if, if you just, there's a compiler setting where you can say generate XML file. Mm. and i don't know if you ever do this do you ever turn on uh warnings as errors and then say you require xml docs and then you can't even compile your code unless the docs are up to date do you do this
0: i do it every once in a while but i don't i don't like it (laughs) it's
1: tough isn't it it's like at first you're like look at me i'm such a professional and then like week two you're like god i hate this thing (laughs) so now you you can't keep it on huh okay me neither
0: I I do my best to make the warnings. I leave them as warnings so they definitely annoy me. And if all of a sudden Uh, I see them spike. So once the guilt builds up enough, then you'll. Exactly. Exactly. Once, once I'm guilted into it, then it's like go time, basically. Yeah. So, okay.
1: Well, I'm, I'm excited for a new tool. Um, I, I was complaining to you before this that God, I don't want to have to write that script again, because I'm I'm getting I, I want a different style for things. So I'm excited to check this Wyom
0: out. Yeah. And I think I think this Wyom, like I just linked you to the cake documents. And mm-hmm. so this site was generated by Wyom. And I think that's what's interesting is I think that this is for the this is a huge freaking library, right? <laughs> where you need stuff to be automatically generated because you're spending so much time on the XML docs and all this other stuff. I think it's just a cool tool. I hope that it is the next sandcastle of configurations of like where things go next, but it is quite interesting. So if you have a huge crazy thing project out there, <laughs> take a look at it. it. Also does personal blogs. If you're doing all your blogging on, well, it's going to, Ask you, would you recommend
1: this for, um, an app's documentation? Kind of, you know, you, you know, the trick that I was pulling off before. You were very kind to call it clever, but it was kind of a form of laziness too. Plus, I wanted (laughs) an easy way (laughs) to update that documentation. So it just made sense for the app to pull the docs off the web and use HTML as their base format and all that. Uh, would you recommend this for that kind of stuff or
0: not? You know what I want? Maybe Mm. this is, um, a side project of yours see how i said yours and not mine Mm -hmm. is what if you could point a tool at documentation and it would generate the xamarin forms pages that you could put into your application
1: oh in fact there was a xamarin component that did just this. The rule was you had to write your documentation using XHTML, and that was simply so that we could parse it quickly. <laughs> and uh, what it did was it took like your headings and your sections and all that, and broke it into a table of contents that you could navigate through with a table view controller. Had automatic built-in search. So this is a a very good idea. B done, but I don't think it's maintained these days. So the project should mm. probably be taken over and it could probably be improved upon. But yeah, um, I had a little say in that project because I was really into docs. (laughs) So I I really wanted to see that component. So I like that. Yeah, it's a great idea. (laughs) Yes.
0: So I love it. I'm telling you, if you're creating a library or also let us know how our documentation is, because I would love feedback. I think that's why I wanted to get and do this podcast, because I didn't know the next time when I'd be this excited about documentation, because I've never been this excited about documentation. (laughs)
1: it feels good to give right and and it feels like at some point a library you don't want to just keep adding random features it's good to like really show people how to use it it's
0: great yeah Yeah, it makes you feel good about it well anything else you want to talk about documentation before we get into some listener feedback (laughs) now just thank everyone for listening to an episode on documentation (laughs) yes 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 thank you for for all of our we should have we should have come up with our top favorite episodes. I still like our oh, holiday hacks yeah. episode a lot. I'm not mm, gonna lie. Yeah, that was
1: that was fun. Uh, I think I like the 3D printer one, but I don't think anyone else did. So I think that might be why it's my favorite.
0: <laughs> the favorite title. Sorry, iPhone 4. That might be my favorite title. Oh
1: God, I just I just smile every time I hear it.
0: <laughs> it's so good. I was uh, uploading a new app to Apple, and I. And I I made the conscious decision to just check the ARM64 one. And I'm like, sorry,
1: iPhone 4. It goes through my head at least once a week. Sorry, it's I 4.
0: <laughs> it's great.
1: Oh, yeah, fun times. Uh, if you haven't noticed, James and I really enjoy making episode titles. <laughs> we kind of do it last minute, and we kind of do it kind of quickly, but it's still one of my most favorite parts of all this. So, apologize for all the puns. Apologize for all the terrible 80s movies references, but... That's our sense of humor.
0: <laughs> That's how we do it. Well, we do have some great listener feedback this week that I'm super excited about, kind of questions for both of us and the show. And and we have it been piling up. It's been piling up, to be honest. Yeah. So the first one is from Neil's Cup. He goes, he just wanna say, I love the show. We, we love you, um, so we appreciate you listening. It says, every Monday morning at 5.15, I don't know how anyone gets up at 5.15, mm-hmm. but he drives to his client in Amsterdam, which is about a oh. two hour drive from where he lives. Whew. Wow. And he says he loves listening to the show. It's great behind the wheel. Um, and he's still catching up on all of them. So you'll get around to this in a few months. Sounds like it's got some time. <laughs> got some time. Exactly. You're really, yeah. I mean, wow, that's, that's a lot. He <laughs> said one question for both of us. He said, you work jobs, you build a million packages, you record a show, you do presentations. I'll add on to the list of things, but I won't. Um, he goes, where do you find the time? How many hours do you work? Hobby? work and also hobby per week and i'll let you go wow oh god okay
1: oh okay the podcast isn't actually that big of a time drain for me because as y'all know james does all the work i just have to show up and record and try not to make too big of a jerk out of myself here so that's that's pretty easy for me it's only a few hours uh once a week in general no big deal there uh, for a work day, I try to put in an honest eight hour work day. And what that means for me, um, that means working on the apps that are making me money in the app store. <laughs> that's what I consider work, like, um, maintenance, basically. In general, if I'm running a new app or something, that, that's covered under that too. I try to save hobby projects for the weekend, to be honest, only because I'm getting older and I'm not so good at doing two things in a day <laughs> so i can't work a full day and then you know work four more hours on my hobby and then four more hours on open source no i'm not an animal here you know <laughs> so what i try to do is small amounts of work more often um just checking on the project checking on that um Boy, I don't know. I, you know, it's weird because people. It, it sounds like a lot. He named a lot of stuff in that email, but I still don't feel like I do that much. <laughs> to be thoroughly honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I. I'm not writing docs. <laughs> I know that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I, I also feel very similar to you. I always feel like I. There's some some days where I feel crazy productive, like I've done ton, tons of stuff. And then other days, I'm like, other weeks, I'm just like, did I even do anything this week? But like, yeah. I know I did, right? I just yeah, can't yeah. put my finger on it.
1: Well, that's why I have the eight hours of like, no matter what I do, I feel like I, I put in my time. I did mm-hmm. that. Um, now, if I am, I, I I am an obsessive worker when I'm feeling kind of inspired or when I'm really working on something. So I'll do kind of an all-nighter you know I don't really have too many responsibilities in this world <laughs> so I can do ridiculous things with my sleep schedule and I'll do that from time to time uh, but I don't rely on it I don't rely on working on nights that would drive yeah. me insane
0: yeah I mean for me it's it's like you know I have the the Microsoft gig and um, you know plugins fall somewhat into the Microsoft gig and sometimes not into the Microsoft daily work mm-hmm. right so all of last week or two week two weeks ago Week all last week, I told Joseph I said, "Hey, all of this week, about eighty percent of my time are going into rewriting plugins, which was a big ordeal." And I spent oh. all day Sunday and all day Monday and some of Fourth of July fleshing wow. it out, getting apps ready, doing all this stuff, testing everything. And I think you know, I do, I try to do a, a lot, but I think I'm very a compulsive worker where I, my brain is always working, so it's actually hard to turn it off. <laughs> I would say that since I love what I do, I. I don't mind doing it as much. And I probably put in what, like maybe 60 hours a week of work. And uh, it's hard to really say, but yeah. the nice thing is that no one is telling me to do that. So I really have that flexibility of saying, you know what, like I need to leave early today. Like I just can't do it. It's okay because I'm literally going to fly 10 hours to <laughs> you know UK next week. And I've already worked all this other stuff out. So uh-huh. what I do specifically is I try to make sure that I take a break and say, this is when work is done. And maybe I have to come back later on. And a good example was earlier this week. I'm like, I have to take a break right now. And I, and I tell how they're like, I have 30 more minutes of work to do later. I can't do it right now because I, I just need to, you know, do something else, but I, I have to come back 30 minutes later and do it or do a side yeah. project or something. So it's really complicated and jam it all in there. I don't know. It's magic. What?
1: When I first started working for myself, um, I had a little problem, and that was I didn't have a good discipline about a work schedule or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so work would bleed over into normal hours, like hanging out hours, and what would inevitably happen was i wouldn't accomplish much in the day then i'd feel guilty but i'd still be tired because it's the evening and then i'd be guilty and tired then i wouldn't sleep well and then i would sleep in and you know vicious cycle um so what i found was especially when you're working for yourself just put in put in a normal day's worth of work um at the end of the day if i'm too tired to do anything but read twitter then that's all i do Mm -hmm. i
0: try to go guilt-free after that eight hours that's like my guilt-free time you gotta do Cool. We got a few more that we'll run through since we got a few extra minutes up here. We got Michael Hoffman writes in. He says, uh, latecomer to the show. So welcome to the show. We appreciate you being here. And he just listened to our async await development. Ooh boy! <laughs> uh, one. Welcome to the world of async await. He said one thing Frank mentioned and Uh, where I wish he would have expanded more, which is a great thing to write in about because we Uh will. (laughs) You called it turtles all the way down issue, which is once you start making a method async, awaiting it, you got to await everything else. And he goes, um, like everything else must be async. He goes, um, uh, but there's the opposite, which is asyncs all the way up, right? So there's turtles all the way down, async all the way up, I think is what you're trying Mm -hmm. to mention he said, that's great until you get to the top, especially in apps where at some point you're at the starting point of the apps framework and you just can't make your own, uh, make your app delegate or whatever async, right? He goes, where, do, right. Where, do you, where or how do you start and what's the right way in your top level main class to declare one method to async them all?
1: <laughs> uh well actually um I'll start by saying I actually kind of fight back against this. So um I don't want it to creep all that way around. Async is a tool. You shouldn't let that tool take over, you know. It's uh it's meant to be used in certain circumstances where you're responding to a UI event. Um you got to do some stuff and then come back, you know, that's the common scenario we all use it for. And I try not to let that lead up okay but all that said he's mentioning a big problem that occurs a lot especially when you're programming ios because you get these events all the time but the problem is the operating system is expecting you to respond with some value like Mm. um tell me the text in this cell you can't do that async because the os itself is expecting that result and so you really have no choice there but to you know just kind of block the ui thread and do things like that it's really ugly to be honest so in answer to his question, um, you know, you can actually have an async main function. <laughs> so you can always do that. Um, I, I think in general, if you're responding to events, it's not a big deal because everything can be just async. Uh, it's only events that require a result back that it becomes a difficulty. And for that, you really honestly don't have any choice but to block the UI thread. It's terrible. It's a bad API design and they should have done better. Um what was the other one? Um, so does it need to Does it need to get into every function? Absolutely not. Um, at some point, I do my uh, async voids. I think we all have them. And mm-hmm. then right there, I just throw in a million uh, try catches because I'm so yeah. afraid of exceptions.
0: I think what I've seen some really not so good async code recently where I try to never let things bubble up that far to the main. Mm-hmm. I think that I, n- nothing should ever be in my constructor of my view model that needs to call async code, then you're doing something wrong, like put it into some event or something like that. But I think some people maybe are forgetting the point that you can still do this thing called continue with. Yeah. Um, because if you don't care for it to finish and you want to do something later, let it do a callback. You could say, go get data dot continue with and then do stuff later. Right. And I think yeah. that's something that people are kind of forgetting about that. Yes, you can await on that, but only await on that if you have to process data later in that actual application. Um, but you still want to do error checking, right? So when you do the continue with, it's not going to lock your UI thread. It's going to go off and do some stuff, but then you'll be able to process when it's done without having to wait for it to finish in a way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, you bring up I think it's a way to look I, at
1: it. Yeah, a, a wait is actually a layered mechanism. The task library is actually independent of a wait. A wait just works with the task library and you can always exactly. use the task library at that low level yeah um, i mean yeah i do no like callbacks this,
0: but they're there <laughs>
1: yeah um th- there's certain courtesies with a way and i think even after all these years we're still learning them like i still see a lot of people that have async 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 everywhere but they still won't bother to put a cancellation token into their api so i'm like well thanks for all the async but you know give me some give me something actually powerful here
0: <laughs> that's my next thing is i need to need to make sure i do that on i have it on a few of mine but not on all of them so it's complicated you know, it,
1: you, you don't need cancellation until you need it it's one of those things like uh, there's this hilarious dialogue in visual studio i don't know if you've ever run into it but when you're debugging an app and it's downloading all the symbols for the app there's a a, there's a a box that has a cancel button in it and next to the cancel it says attempting to cancel may continue (laughs) to load things i'm like what do you mean attempting to cancel like just say cancel you know just hide the dialogue and be done with it
0: (laughs) it's really close it really wants to it's it's, it's yeah, thinking attempting
1: about it. yeah. <laughs> i'm not attempting i'm commanding you to cancel
0: <laughs> yeah uh, oh well. okay so it's, it's
1: hard it bubbles in every direction
0: <laughs> we have a great blog post on async await stuff on the xamarin blog i'll make sure i put it into the show notes i link this to a lot of people everything froze. everything froze up on my computer really fast and i was like what is going on <laughs> i'm back i'm back baby okay, last tough. one and then we'll get out of here because we actually had a lot of listener feedback and this is special as the one year one year uh merge awesome. conflict um and it's kind of interesting question this come from from bass de court what a great name uh he goes loves the show naturally we love you too he said pwas or progressive web apps are gaining more traction and he's wondering. What do you think of native apps and their future? It's kind of good because it's, it's kind of what we talk yeah. about a lot. And he said he's going to quote Steve Jobs here, which is kind of kind of good for you, mm-hmm. I guess, because love he loves Steve yeah. Jobs. Love Job. He said, Steve Jobs once said that the best app on your iPhone is the browser Safari, but Apple still doesn't support progressive web apps very well. Can these apps or another form of web app compete with native? And what are our thoughts? OK,
1: um, I'll lay it down. I think web apps are absolutely fantastic. You cannot argue the distribution model. Everyone has a web browser. You put up a website and everyone's using your app. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, The limitations of the web platform are exactly that the limitations of the web platform chrome can only do these things you see so many apps that become chrome only apps because they're hitting limitations of the html5 platform they want to do other things so they become a chrome app more than a web app but that said i think the big selling point for web apps is their distribution. there. distribution there's no better way to get your app out there I still write native apps for a lot of reasons. Uh, One is I'm always going to be a performance freak. (laughs) I just (laughs) love that. (laughs) I love actually working with real machines. The other is that i love working with rich apis so when you're a web developer you know you spend a bit of time fighting html5 i don't want to make it out worse than it is because eventually you learn it you become really good at it it's all good that happens with all of us but it's a smaller platform plain and simple you know you, you compare that to something like uh mac os 10 or even ios and the number of apis is orders of magnitude smaller it just is less sophisticated period (laughs) but it'll get there if you know it'll grow up progressive web apps um you know i can't handle business speak i can't keep up with it constantly um what i'm assuming he means is apps that are just little web pages that run in the browser basically like apple's original distribution model for mobile apps was just little websites that become an icon so i'm assuming somewhere around that world Mm -hmm. um uh, it's it's you have two worlds. Sometimes they're going to touch each other. Sometimes they're going to veer away from each other. Sometimes they'll overlap each other completely. That's how it is when you have two different things. <laughs> and um, is one better for other things than the other? Eh, I'm not yeah. so sure.
0: I here's I did a write up not too long ago. Um, Twitter Twitter wrote an entire new app called Twitter Lite, which is mm-hmm. a progressive web app. Um, and Google's really pushing. Uh, PWAs because they have Chrome and they're kind of glorified Chrome apps and they're smaller and you can add features to them and Mm -hmm. you can interact a little bit with the native capabilities like take a photo and do stuff. Ah, Gotcha. I did just get a new device recently, an old device, which is my new device, my Nexus six, because my Nexus six P died. And I decided I said, I want to download and install as few apps as possible. Mm -hmm. one just to kind of see what that feels like and also because i'm gonna get a new phone really soon so i'm gonna have to do this all (laughs) again anyways how long can i resist
1: it's fun be a purist it's like a zen thing
0: it was very i felt very zen so I, i well first i wrote this entire blog post right when that thing came out so you can read all of it i'll put in the show notes of the ups and downs of pwas and as a native developer um i really took to heart um, what PWAs have grown up to try to become, but how far away they still are. And mm-hmm. especially on iOS, how really, really far away they are. Um, oh, there's some cool cool things that Twitter can do on Android. Like it can become an app icon. It can get push notifications. It can take a photo. It can pick photos. It can um, Boy, do that's a few too other bad things. Because if you had asked me if you could do that on iOS, I would have
1: assumed <laughs> that the answer would have been yes. That's too bad.
0: Yeah, I think you can do some of it on ios but here's one thing that i literally i compared the tweet screen Mm. on android versus the twitter app and on the twitter app you can take a photo do live pick from your gallery immediately do a poll insert a gif Mm -hmm. um and put your location on android on the pwa you can take a photo and that's it Mm. so like you're you're going to be giving up all of this. And it doesn't even look extremely good, to be honest with you. And now that I'm actually living. So I've been living with the Twitter progressive web app and the Outlook progressive web app because I refuse oh, yeah. to install them huh. currently. Um, and I basically hate my life and I hate opening them. That's what I've learned. Oh, Is that great. I okay. Do? Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. I hate well,
1: them. you know, <laughs> easy distribution comes at its cost. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's um, the problem. But I, yeah, I got to the end
0: of this, Frank. I don't want to sound too down. Because mm-hmm. I said, listen, if you're a huge company and you want to reach as many people as humanly possible, this is a great idea. Yeah, do all of them, do both, right? Like Twitter, they did both because the idea of the progressive web app was that they wanted to reach emerging markets where they could get a sub one meg or two meg download of their app. That was their that was their yeah. goal. Yeah. So
1: And honestly, um, uh, just this is r- related to hybrid apps, and these are apps that you run native code, but you present your user interface um, with HTML, web technologies and things like that. And I, th- I think, just like I said, there's always going to be a merger of these kinds of things. But I, I do like HTML as just the distribution platform. And mm-hmm. it- it's unbeatable. You cannot beat it today.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. Anything else? I think we crushed this for a while. I know that this one was longer, but it's okay because oh, yeah. we wanted to really get to the, our listeners and really give you guys a lot of uh, a lot of great attention this week and really dive into the stuff that you've been itching to ask us. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you can ask us all of this great stuff anytime. Just go to mergeconflict.fm. You can leave a comment. You can write an email. You can tweet at us. You can do anything. You can follow us on Twitter. Um, all that jazz. Um, if you're using any of the apps, we would love a Review in the Apple apps, uh, Apple Podcast app, if you're using that, or if you're using Overcast, make sure you click that like button. We would super love that. Oh, man, it's been a great year, Frank. A I love year. it. Can't wait for the next year. Congratulations, James. Yeah, congrats. Thanks for
1: thanks for doing all this. All the editing. Every episode was edited by James. He took yes. out all my
0: swearing. <laughs> I, d- I do what I can. <laughs> well, until, until next week, Unmerge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno, and I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.